want to start today by asking you a question. I want to ask you a question. How did you get to school? Now, for some of you here, you will have um, got to school by walking. You might have got a lift. Some of you might have got a train. Some of you might have been homeschooled. But for some of us, we will have got, and hopefully this works. Can I have the next slide, please? Sorry, I'll just turn it on. That'll make more sense. Ah, oh, there you go. Boom. Right, we got the school bus. Now, life on the school bus had its own set of rules. If you were a year seven, then life on the school bus was not the most fun for you. You used to get on and sit as close as you could to the front and then get off quickly because on the school bus there was no adult supervision, okay, and you were a bit scared of everybody else. When you got to year eight, life on the school bus was a little bit better. You used to look down on those year sevens and think, hey, we used to be there, now look at us, we're big shots. And that happened year nine, year ten, and if, like me, you went to a school where we had a college, we had a sixth form with us as well. We had year 11 and year 12 and 13, where actually you were making your way slowly and steadily towards the back of the bus. Okay, and we used to sit, probably at the start of year 11, the, the row before the back seat. And then by the time we were, you know, at the end of year 11 and sixth form, we used to sit here, this grand place, the back row of the school bus. And if you were the real big shot, you used to sit on that seat in the middle and you used to basically be like a mafia boss. And basically, you know, you, you ran the show. And you'd be like, no, you sit down there, you sit down there. And I'd be like, Neil, come and, this isn't me, sorry, I mean, somebody, somebody would be like, oh, you, come and sit down here, come and sit at the back, we've made it. Yeah, we're year 11s now, we're year 12s. My friend Andy was it, he actually came to our school in year 12 straight away came on the back seat, okay, because those were the rules, those were the rules of the school bus, that's how it happened. Now why am I telling you that? Well, not because actually you're going to find some 18-year-old who thinks he's a mafia boss, or maybe they will, um, but actually life as a Christian has its own set of, you know, expectations, okay, not necessarily rules, but there are expectations and there's things that actually, as we, when we become a Christian, are expected of us. Okay, and one of those things, well, some of those things we're going to look at today. We're going to look at actually what a life as a Christian is all about. Okay, now I don't know why you're, why you're here this morning. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and, and you've made it here through the storm and, you know, great, it's great that you're here. Maybe actually you are, you know, wouldn't say you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've come here because your friend has, you know, invited you down for the weekend and said, oh, well, I've got to go to church, so... Uh, if you come to church, then I'll, I'll come and, uh, you know, I'll get you lunch and stuff like that. However you made it here this morning, I want to say well done for making it. We're so pleased that you're here, and, uh, and I hope you have a really good time. Now, and what you'll find is that if you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus at the moment, and your friends brought you here under whatever pretense, okay, you'll find that actually it's not about them offering you a religion. It's not about them saying, oh, well, this is a, just a better way to live. Actually, they're offering you a new life. They're offering you a, a relationship with your heavenly father. Okay, we've been singing and worshiping to a holy God. And actually, you can come and know that holy God this morning. So we're going to look at a book in the Bible. 
Romans, written, so it's a letter written by a guy called Paul, who actually the first time you meet him in the Bible, he, um, you wouldn't expect him to be one of the people who writes a lot in the Bible, okay? He was actually overse- overseeing quite a few deaths of Christians and stuff like that, okay? So he's not really someone you'd expect to be writing a lot of the Bible. But actually he has a, a dramatic conversion experience. He has a, an experience where he encounters Jesus and from then he goes around um, planting churches and, and one of these letters is to, to the church that he's involved in in Rome. And it says this, and if you've got your Bibles, it's Romans 8, 9, 17. If you've not, I've got it up here anyway. So it says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Okay, we're going to talk today about what your, what your lot in life is as a Christian. Okay, we're going to talk about, uh, as a Christian, what your, what your life is. We're going to look at the, your ob- obligation, and we're going to look at your title. Okay, we're going to look at actually all of these in the context of us as children of God, as someone and people who have a heavenly father. Now, there's been times that, at work or in different friendships that... It comes up that, you know, I go to church or, or I'm a Christian. And often the first questions that people ask are like, oh, so does that mean you can't do this then? Or does that mean you can't do that? And often it, it never quite seems like a smooth opportunity to share what the true meaning of the gospel is. And maybe, maybe you're here for the, for the first time and maybe you're, um, you know, you haven't quite understood what being a Christian is all about. And questions like this happen. So I'll sometimes say something, something like this, okay, in the top left. I'll say, oh, I was with some friends from church. Or I'll, I'll say, oh, I was playing football for my church football team. Lots of different things which I'll use to like, just scatter seed and just to be like, okay, well, if you're, if you're interested in talking about spiritual matters, if you're interested in talking about God or about church, then, then come and talk to me. And then at some point, maybe not straight away, but uh, at some point they might say a phrase like this. So they'll say, ah, oh, so you're religious, aren't you? Now, as, as people, you know, as part of, of this church, we might like, oh, I'm not, not really sure I feel comfortable with that, but, you know, that's the language that they use. So, so I would say, oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a Christian, if that's what you mean. And the conversation might shut down then, but, but actually it might carry on, and, and they might say, or they say later on, oh, does this mean that you, that you don't believe in sex before marriage? Or does this mean that you can't get drunk? Or does this mean that you, that you don't swear? Or does this mean that you don't smoke? And, and what they'll often do 
is, is you can end up in a, I don't know if you've had this, but you end up in a bit of a trap of a conversation because their questions are asking it from a worldly perspective. And, and often what they can be thinking about is, okay, well, what are the rules? What do you have to do? And that well-known theologian, Ricky Gervais, he wrote an article... <laughs> That well-known Ricky, <laughs> theologian Ricky Gervais wrote an article about how he said he was a good Christian okay, because he looked through the Ten Commandments and he was like, well, if I've just got to follow these ten rules and he went through them one by one and he was like, well, yeah, I follow all of these so, you know, I'm a, I'm a good Christian. And actually, if that was the case, you know, maybe he would be a good Christian even though he doesn't actually believe in God and would call himself an atheist. But that's not what being a Christian is. And I want to remind us of that today, that the Christian life is not about things that are seen, okay, though those things will happen, but about things that are unseen, okay, there's a spiritual aspect to our life as a Christian. So if we look at verses 9 to 11, we've got the first three verses and it comes up and I want to go through a little table with you, okay, about how we were before we chose to follow Jesus and how we are after we choose to follow Jesus, and if you're a Christian here today, then the side on the right is good news for you. Okay, it's good news because it's truth for you. Okay, whether you believe it or not, okay, it is the truth. Okay, and if you would say that actually, you, you know, you, you don't follow Jesus at the moment, then I would challenge you that actually at the moment you are on the left-hand side, but you have the opportunity here today to actually cross the line of faith and actually receive all of these things on the right-hand side. So before we come to follow Jesus, at the top, top point, in the, we're in the realm of the flesh. We're controlled by a sinful nature. And then, and then after we choose to follow Jesus, we're in the realm of the spirit, controlled by God's spirit living in us. Okay, from birth, there's no good in us. And even when we want to do something good, actually there's, there's bad desires come out of it. It's why we're tempted when we see a sign, don't walk on the grass. Or why my, my three-year-old, I don't have to teach him to be disobedient. Yeah, he just is. Okay? By nature and by birth, actually, we are disobedient. And, it, and it's why, actually, you know, we might consider you know, having a lifestyle or doing things late at night or watching things that we know are harmful to us. But actually, you know, we're, we're kind of controlled by a sinful nature. I don't know if you've had this experience or, or you've got friends who have, who have done something on one night, say a Friday night, and then have woken up the Saturday morning and said, I'm never, never doing that again. And then come the Saturday evening, doing exactly the same thing. And, and actually, you know, it's addictive. Sin is addictive. And doing the wrong thing is addictive. It's a one-way ticket to a very, very bad place. Okay? And we're heading there fast. But then as we follow Jesus, you're controlled by the Spirit. This isn't that he grabs you by the ear and says, oh, come this way, come this way and do this. Actually, we know, okay, that it says in the Bible that the spirit can be grieved. Okay, he's a gentle, he's a sensitive spirit. Okay, and whilst there actually might be a sense that, that we feel an urge to do something, okay, by the spirit, it's not like he's forcing us to do anything. I remember a time where um, before me and my wife started dating, I had the choice of whether to join a, join a second football team and whether to play on a, Sunday, uh, a Saturday morning and a Saturday afternoon. And as I was praying about it and thinking about it, I really felt that God by his spirit was just saying, actually, you know, this probably isn't the best option for you, you know, to join that second, second team. He didn't force me not to join the team. I mean, she might have done it after a bit, but, but he didn't. 
Okay? And, but actually there was a sense that he was saying, oh, actually, you know, there's an encouragement that there is, there's something better here for you. But he didn't force me to do it. Okay, second point, we go from not belonging to Christ to belonging to Christ. We become those who Jesus intercedes for. He speaks to God on our behalf. He, will, he acknowledges us before his heavenly Father. Okay, we, we belong to him. Third point, we have the spirit of Christ. Christ lives in us. When we come to know Christ, we have his spirit. It's two sides of the same coin. It's not a case of, okay, well, when you come to know Jesus, then you know, you know him, and then later on, there is a, you know, then you get the Holy Spirit. Actually, if you belong to Christ, then you have the Spirit. It says in 1 Corinthians, it says, no one can say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. And yet, there's more of the Holy Spirit to receive. There's more of his spiritual gifts um, that we can, you know, develop and receive. But actually, the personal indwelling of the Spirit is every believer's privilege from the beginning, okay? Third point, and this is the same on both sides. So body is dead because of sin, okay? We live in a world where actually there's, there's sin, there's wrongdoing, and actually the earth is decaying and giving way. And you know, a nice ratio for you this morning, okay? One out of one people's going to die, okay? It's a pleasant, pleasant uh, you know, statistic for you. And that, and that includes all of us. However, next point, on the right hand side, our spirit can be alive because of righteousness. Okay? Because Jesus made us right with God, our spirit, even though our body is decaying and giving way, okay, our spirit comes alive. And this means, the final point, we're spiritually alive in our mortal bodies. Okay? Even though our bodies might not do what, what they used to do, you know, I certainly know that every time I come out on the football pitch, you know, my body doesn't quite do what it used to do. Maybe you're, you're here today and actually your body's never done what you actually wanted it to do, but your spirit is alive. Your spirit's alive because of what Jesus has done. And you can know your heavenly Father through Christ his Son and the spirit lives in you. It's good news. So in terms of our conversation with people, you know, you might not get a chance actually to, you know, go through a table with them and actually you might, it might not be appropriate for you to use, you know, necessarily all of this sort of language. But if you're single and you've probably been asked, you know, okay, why, why don't you have sex? Don't say, because I'm not allowed. Okay, because that would imply rules and religion. What you can say is that, you know, you're believing that God has got something better for you. You're believing that he knows best. You believe in that you belong to Jesus and that's enough. All of a sudden you've gone from a question which is asking about sex to you talking about belonging to Christ. Or if you're talking about making decisions about universities or jobs or relationships. You know, there's a variety of different answers that you could give. There's almost like the, the non-league or league one or two answer which is just like, oh, it just felt right or, you know, because there was like more, more money in that or, you know, that just, that just seemed better. We want to move away from that a little bit. So, so maybe like a championship answer would be, oh, I prayed a lot about it and it felt right to do this. Actually, when you're having the, a conversation with someone, you're bringing a spiritual aspect to it. Or you could say, oh, you know, this is more Premier League answer. Okay, I prayed about it and this might sound strange, but I actually felt that God was talking to me about doing this. Or, this is the Champions League answer, okay, 
you could say, I prayed about it, I felt that God speak to me about doing this. And also, actually, I know that whatever I choose, God's going to be with me. And these things like university or jobs don't matter as much as knowing that I belong to him. Okay, so there's a number of different ways that we can answer questions. We're trying to take it away from, you know, the, maybe the worldly question that they're asking and trying to introduce them to the fact that actually following Jesus is, is you know, just amazing and it's, you know, more the spiritual side of things as well. We want people to know that it's not about rules, about a relationship with God and about a new life. Second point, okay, so obligation. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. It is not to the flesh to live according to it. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And this isn't going against what, what Paul's been saying before about it being you know, like all about grace and not works. He says it countless times. That actually, you know, it's not about what you do. Yeah, it's about what Jesus has already done. However, there is an element here where it seems that our enjoyment as children of God involves us putting to death the misdeeds of the body. Okay, if we want to you know, experience Jesus' life in all its fullness and those things that he talks about in John 10.10, 10, actually it's not about you know, a reward for self-denial, but actually by putting certain things to death, you'll surely live. Okay, it's the essence of the gospel, yeah? life through death. I've got two sons to mention, so one's three and a half and one's seven months, and they'll never stop being my sons, but the older one knows, and the younger one will soon find out when he gets a bit older, that their enjoyment of being my children actually is dependent on their day-to-day behavior, okay? So there's certain times in the day where they probably don't enjoy being my child, okay? Because actually I'm asking them to do something that they don't want to do. And if you've had toddlers or you know people who've got toddlers, you'll know that that's an experience which happens certainly on a day-to-day basis. But actually, I wouldn't be being a good father to them if I just let them do what they liked. Yeah, actually, there's an, there's an element where you have to, bring, have to bring discipline. And I'm expecting them to actually, you know, turn away from certain misdeeds. And actually, we know our, our, our Heavenly Father, it says in Proverbs 3.12, okay, that our Heavenly Father will discipline us and encourage us away from our misdeeds because he wants what's best for us, ultimately. My own experience is uh, that I became a Christian when I was 12, and, but there's definitely been times in my life where I've not been enjoying my status as a child of God in the way that I could be because I've been getting involved in some of these things which were maybe you would class under the banner of misdeeds. I can remember times as a teenager where I would have been out on a Saturday night with friends and would come into church on a Sunday morning and would be in no place at all to worship a holy God. I wasn't enjoying spending time with my father. I wasn't enjoying spending time in his presence because actually I was involved in a load of misdeeds. I was a Christian and I fully believed that actually my eternal salvation was secure, but I wasn't enjoying my time as a child of God. Not because of anything that God had done, but because of what I was doing. Maybe that's where you are, even this morning. If that's you, I want to say well done for making it here this morning. And there's an opportunity for you to actually like, say, actually, like, God, I've, I've messed up a bit here. Okay, I'll take that. Your misdeeds don't discount you from a free, the free gift of God's grace. Because that's all been paid, off by the, paid for by the cross of Jesus. But actually, God wants you to enjoy the freedom that he's truly won for you. And right now, you can turn back to him.
putting these things to death will often mean that actually some things have to be clearly dealt with. Okay? Sometimes we'll have to actually like delete certain apps off our phones okay? because they, they encourage us to, you know, to lust or to gamble, okay? to not steward our money well. Or maybe actually it's, it's things which you don't just put to death once. It's not as easy as just deleting something off an app. But it's like every time actually that you pass that fast food restaurant, you have to, you have to put it to death and say, no, I'm not going to go there because, because like, I know that's going to cause me to overeat. Because Jesus dealt with sin on the cross, it means we're free to put to death these different things. There's no obligation to our sinful nature. It's got no claim over us and we owe it nothing which allows us to fulfill our obligation to the Spirit and live according to his desires. I can remember one party I went to, I think I was about 16, and um, living in the countryside, there was people who, you know, their family owned farms and stuff like that, and there was a, we had a party in a marquee on someone's farm. My friend Andrew, he just, uh, he just passed his driving test, so he drove us there in his Vauxhall Astra, uh, which is a beautiful car, um, and he parked it up outside the marquee. Now, at the end of the night, we'd all had a good time, and, and Andrew realised that actually his car was stuck in the mud. Now, he, he stayed there in the night somewhere in the marquee, but, but I needed to get home. So what did I do? I called my dad. Middle of the night, I called him up, and I just said, I'm stuck, can you come and get me? And he did, thankfully, because it was freezing. Okay? And for some of us here today, we've actually we've enjoyed things, and now we've realised that we're stuck. Okay, and we could call on our Heavenly Father to help us. Now, I wouldn't say that my dad was particularly eager to come and get me uh, that evening, you know, to call him up in the middle of the night and just say, oh yeah, yeah, I'll come and get you. But he did. But actually, as we've been hearing over the last, you know, this little series that we've been doing about the, the lost son and the, and the father, our father comes running to us. He's eager to meet with us. I just want to take a moment because I think there's some people here who actually, that's you. And you can feel that you've got involved in certain things and you can feel that you're a bit stuck and you feel that you need to actually like turn and call on your father. So if you don't mind, just, we, we could just close our eyes just for one minute. If that's you, I just want you to pray this in your heart. Father, I've messed up and I know that I'm stuck. I want to thank you that you come running to me. Right now, I turn back to you. I'm so grateful that you forgive me and you're with me. Help me move on together with you. Amen. My final point. As a Christian, you have a title. Your title is that as a son or daughter of God. Verses 15 and 16, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. In Roman culture, so the, the culture that Paul was writing into, it was much more common, adoption was much more common than it is in our culture. So Augustus became emperor because he was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And Augustus in turn adopted his successor, Tiberius, Caligula became, I presume his name's Caligula, that's what it sounds like, became emperor because Tiberius had adopted his father and Nero was adopted by Claudius. So as Paul writes this letter to the Romans, he's writing to people who would have known many, if not every, emperor to have not been the natural son of the one before him. 
The adopted son was deliberately chosen to perpetuate his name and inherit the estate. In no way inferior to those born by natural means and he had all the rights ascribed to him. And Paul uses adoption to describe those who have come to faith in Jesus. This is now their title, children of God. He says it again in a letter to the Galatians, yeah, that, that God sent his son that he would receive adoption to sonship. In adoption as children, you obtain all the rights of the new family. Where before you were not part of the family, now you are. Where before you didn't carry the family name, now you do. Where before you had no right to enter the family home to call this man dad or this woman mum, now you do. And through this adoption that Paul describes, we're granted, and this is from John Stott, who is a Bible teacher in London, we're granted a specifically close, personal, loving relationship with our Heavenly Father, immediate and bold access to him in prayer, membership of his worldwide family, and nomination as his heirs. Everyone in this room has an opportunity to become God's child. We're not all there yet, but we can be. So we might all be his offspring through creation, but actually we can only become his reconciled children through his adoption and new birth. And then we can know the truth fully of 2 Corinthians 6.18, which says, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. And it's not that we've done anything good. Andrew Wilson, who leads a church in, uh, in London, puts it like this. We were not princes and princesses born into a relationship with the king and always destined for royalty ourselves. We were street kids, foul-smelling and foul-mouthed orphans with no royalty, no rights, and certainly no relationship. Yet one day, the king walked up to us and chose us to join him in the palace, giving us all things in the process and all of his inheritance as well. Phil Moore, another leader from, he leads Everyday Church in London, says this, God already has a son and heir, but he unites us through his son through the gospel and adopts us as fellow heirs alongside him. Since Jesus is the new king in town, we get to rule over sin, death and sickness with him as co-rulers on his throne. Since he's the heir to the riches of God's glorious kingdom, we get to share in his riches. So what can I expect as a child and an heir? Well, just a, just a few points, we're, you know, we'll begin to wrap up just want to rattle off a few points which children can expect of their parents and then relate them to our standing in God. They can expect love. So there's a difference between when a, a father and son walking down the road and you say to the boy, you say, oh, is this your dad? And he says, oh, yeah, that's my, that's my dad and yeah, I'm his son. And there's a difference when the, the father actually bends down, scoops up the boy, gives him a big hug, says, I love you, I'm proud of you. And he puts him back down again. Then you ask the boy again, he's like, yeah, that's my dad. There's a sense that he knows the love. And we too, you know, it's, it's not supposed to just be a factual thing that, oh yeah, I know that, you know, I'm, the ch- I'm a child of God. Actually, there's a sense that we need to embrace him and feel him embrace us as well. Forgiveness. Children can expect forgiveness from their parents. Being a child doesn't expect, doesn't, you know, suggest you're going to be perfect. In fact, as a parent, I would expect my boys not to be perfect, and especially if they go into new situations and, new, and different things. But there's forgiveness for them. 
Being a child of God doesn't mean that you'll never mess up. It means that you know that your heavenly father is ready to forgive. He's ready to remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. Healing. Children can expect healing. If one of my boys was hurt, I would do what I could to bring healing. Now, it might be that those times are when he's you know, just fallen over. I might say, oh, you all right? And he'd be like, yeah, I'm fine, and get up. But it might be that I need to work out my limited you know, knowledge of first aid okay, and help him out. Or it might be I need to take him to the doctor's. But as children of God, I think, and I think we can do this more actually, I think we should be expecting that our God can heal us. Now I know that many people here will have prayed for healing before. Okay, I know that I've, I've had times where I prayed for healing and, and nothing's happened. But actually as children of God, we should be expecting that our Father in heaven will heal us. One of the names of God in the Bible is Yahweh Rophi, which means the Lord who heals. It's part of his character. It's not an add-on, it's part of his character. God's a healing God, and he can bring physical, mental, emotional healing. And we're going to be praying for some of that later as well. And the final one, a power boost. Okay? The number of times that my eldest is trying to climb something in soft play, and they'll get to a point where he's really going for it, he's really struggling, and actually he'll just need a little bit of a, little bit of a boost. Or there's times where actually I've, you know, I'm using my power to help him to jump over fences or to, to climb up trees, which actually he wouldn't be able to do on his own. Jesus gave his disciples power to heal the sick, to drive out demons, proclaim the kingdom of God. They wouldn't be able to do that in their own strength. I want to encourage you that actually, like everybody who stands upon this stage, God, is, God gives them the power and the authority to do that. They're not doing it in their own strength. They're doing it actually out of what God's done for them. And he's giving them the strength to do it. And this is kind of where I want to land it this morning, actually. With us coming to the Father again in worship, knowing that he'll give us his love, his forgiveness, his healing, to remind us of the authority and the power that he's given us to pray for each other and take on new challenges. We come as sons and daughters to him. What we'll do is we'll maybe we'll sing a song and then maybe there'll be some, some space for response. If the band can just come up as well, that'd be great. I just want to think a little bit back to where we started, of that silly picture, silly story about a school bus. And I, know, I think that there, is some, there are some people here who actually are still at the bus stop. I think there's some people here who are watching on and looking on at what's going on at the school bus and thinking, actually, like, I'm, I'm not on it yet. I'm just waiting here. I haven't taken that step. And you're looking on at these Christians around you, you're hearing you know, the, the worship, worship to a holy God, worship to a, a heavenly Father. You're thinking, yeah, that doesn't, like, I'm not there yet. I want to encourage you as we, as we come back to worship, as we come back to singing songs, actually take a moment to, to say, okay, God, if you're, 
if you're there then come and speak to me maybe it's a moment for you actually to, to cross the line of faith to say okay yeah Jesus I believe in what you've done for me and today I'm going to become a Christian I'm going to get on that bus